0: We're cutting that bit off, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. unless you want to keep it in. No, unless you think no, it is it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> been
1: been a minute, man. It's been a while. We should tell the audience about our uh, follies.
0: Yeah. Oh god. So we did. We recorded an episode on dictators, and this is actually the second time we recorded an episode on dictators. The first time, uh, my audio <laughs> got corrupted. <laughs> and we never released it. And then uh, the second time, Duncan's audios got, re- uh, got corrupted. So clearly it's a cursed topic. And uh, since uh, we talked about how we should finally, at last, do a positive topic, uh, we pivoted to do this. Comeback stories. That's right. So I'm going to be talking about Gucci, the uh, luxury fashion brand. So there's a saying goes. Uh, there's a saying in Italy that goes, "The first generation creates, the second generation expands, and the third generation destroys." This almost happened to Gucci. It didn't. It didn't. Like as we know now, it's it's still around. So it clearly didn't happen, but it's almost happened. So it all started with a man named Guccio Gucci. Guccio His Gucci. His name was
2: Guccio. That yes yes weird. come
0: <laughs> on <laughs> do you guys know the, like the gucci logo gg yeah gg sidebars yeah and that's that's for gucci, or gucci. <laughs> oh my
1: god dude that's awesome uh,
0: <laughs> so he was working a low-level job in the in the prestigious savoy hotel in london in the uh in early 1900s um it was there when he learned the importance of exclusiveness. And because, like, all the aristocrats staying at the hotel, they all have, like, luxury brand, like, golf gears that are, like, you know, specially made. Um, so, in... I'm just kind of, like, glancing over, skipping over Guccio's story really quickly, because, like, he, there are some, you know, really cool thing he did, but comparing to the, like... To the family feuding that's gonna happen later on, like he's a minor character in the story. Um in 1921, Guccio opened his first store in Florence selling leather leather goods, emphasizing on quality and exclusiveness. Because like a bag and you know, all these accessories has to be in good quality, of course, but it's also important to be exclusive. You want you want your customer to feel like they're buying something special. Having like this item is gonna make them like in an exclusive club. That's the point of a luxury brand. So, Guccio had a few sons, but this is shallow dive, not deep dive. So, I'm just gonna talk about the important sons. Aldo Gucci and Rodolfo Gucci. So, Aldo is really the expander. Like, he was... Uh, he was he was always trying to convince his father to open new stores outside, of, uh, like, in other cities. And finally, after 17 years, since the first store in Florence, there's finally a Gucci store outside of Florence, in Rome, and Aldo was p- was put in charge uh, of that store. So, Guccio retired and eventually died in 1953. And, uh, Aldo and Rodolfo had 50% of the stake each, like 50% of the control of the company. And Aldo was put in charge of foreign operation and in the next couple of decades. So this is the rise. This, this is the rise before the fall. Uh, Aldo turned Gucci into an international, globally recognized brand. He opened the first American store in New York in 1953 and then another one in Palm Beach in 1961, and then another one also in Lo- uh, also in 1961 in London. By the 1980s, there were Gucci stores in all major cities in the world. Um, so some of the iconic products that helped them gain popularities were their loafers, the bamboo-handled handbags, the watches, and their floral scarf, which I'm sure it means something to some people, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but they were worn by like many celebrities of the time. Jackie Kennedy wore uh, uh, Jackie Kennedy had one of their handbags, and it eventually like the handbag was named the Jackie later on. But like, they were the shit. So while all this is happening, the Gucci family is fighting big time amongst themselves. Okay, so Aldo had three sons: Roberto. Giorgio, and Paolo. So they combined with Aldo had 50% of the family. So this is one side of the family. On the other side of the family, there's Rodolfo and his single son, Maurizio. They combined have their 50% of the company. Roberto, Giorgio, and Paolo, so Aldo's sons, thought that their dad, Aldo, did such a phenomenal job that they deserve more than one-third of 50%. Maurizio disagrees, like Aldo did indeed, like, you know, do all these things, and he was like a very successful, formidable man who expanded uh, Gucci all over the world, but Maurizio disagreed, and eventually, after a lot of legal battles going back and forth, eventually, nothing changed. So Aldo's side still got their 50%, and Rodovo's side still got their 50% and it was really in the 80s that everything, like, really exploded. How
2: similar, uh, like, of what you're talking about, how similar is it to the new new movie that came out? Like, the House of Gucci movie? Yeah, yeah, I was actually
0: going to ask that. I've never actually seen the House of Gucci, but it's apparently a lot very similar to... Okay. It is quite accurate. Yeah, I want to see it. So, in 1980, Paolo started his his own business using the Gucci name. Paolo always wanted to do his own shit, but he was never, like, given the... Op- like, he never had the opportunity to do it. Um, so he started his own business using the Gucci name w- without approval. And his dad, Aldo, was really upset and sued him <laughs> and cut off all of his supplier to his company. Damn. Um, so eventually, eventually, that flopped. And it was all... This happened within, like, nine months. Um, To seek revenge, in 1984, so four years after, Paolo tipped off the IRS about Aldo's tax evasion scheme. Dude! At this point, Aldo is like 70. In 1986, Aldo was sent to jail for a year because his son snitched on him. This Uh, is like (laughs) really petty these european elites operate on you know
1: census that
0: uh, they operate on reasoning that doesn't make any sense yeah normal people more than enough money to go around and
2: like (laughs) everybody in the family
1: nah they gotta turn on each other that's the (laughs) only way
0: uh that's basically european history for the past (laughs) forever (laughs) Mm -hmm. so aldo was in jail for a year in 1986 and now aldo has to punish Paolo. And after he was released, he gave um, Paulo only about four percent of the whole company, and then s- the Surprise other forty 40- not give him any. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was thinking too. It's like <laughs> that's pretty so like, generous. Mm-hmm, like yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like four percent. That's like a few million dollars yeah. right there. Like yeah, well, I would yeah. It's like your son snitched on you. It's like should you cut him off entirely. Fuck that guy. <laughs> so eventually, Paulo only had four percent of the company, and then his original shares was like split between the other three like Aldo and uh, Giorgio and Roberto at this point Gucci as a brand has lost some prestige uh, it has lost quite a bit of prestige actually it became a brand associated with other cheap brands that you can buy even in like a, a an airport duty free store mm-hmm. like it's no longer a very like exclusive elitist uh, brand anymore um they lost some control over the quality and the exclusiveness of the brand uh they sold products that were made not by Gucci but only like it's like third party made products branded as Gucci product oh yeah um and they were sold in stores that were like franchisee stores so it's not like Gucci's corporate stores mm. like these things on its own is not like a bad thing or a wrong thing it's just you have to have... Like, you have to have really good oversight. Like, you have to know the kind of brands you're picking. You have to know the franchisees. Like, you have to... Like, they have to be on board with, like, Gucci as well. You don't want to just let anybody to start a, a store with the Gucci name. Yeah. Um, so, basically, the brand has become diluted. Maurizio knew this. And he wanted to bring back the glory days of Gucci. And finally... Uh, this is kind of, this is the turning point in 1983 his dad Rodolfo died and Maurizio inherited all 50% control of the fame uh, of the country and he tr- not control, country <laughs> <50%. He> took <protect laughs> over Italy <laughs> the country of Gucci <laughs> the country of Gucci. <laughs> um, yeah, live there. So yeah 50% of the company uh, he tried to convince his cousins and uncle to follow his vision, but they were quite comfortable with the existing lines of product that brings lucrative profit. So here's the thing, right? The brand is just not a luxury brand anymore, but it's still making fuck tons of money. So Aldo, they were like, I'm cool with just, you know, keep making money. But Maurizio wants to, you know, bring back the luxury and the exclusiveness uh, of Gucci. Um, so Maurizio wanted to buy out his cousin and his uncle, so he started flirting with this comp- uh, this investment company called InvestCore, and it's like a, it's an investment group in Bahrain, and with the backing of InvestCore, they first bought out Paolo's 4%, they paid him 40 million dollars for his 4%, so that's Genius. the amount that Paolo would have gotten if Aldo didn't reduce his control, like, didn't reduce his shares of the company. And Paolo, with that money, finally could open his own business, but it basically flopped before it began. So one by one, Roberto, Giorgio, and Aldo sold their shares to InvestCore, and between InvestCore and Maurizio, they have full control of Gucci. Now is the time to introduce two more characters to the story, Patrice P- patricia Patricia uh, Reggiani, uh, that's pa-
1: Lady Gaga. <laughs>
0: patricia Reggiani, yeah, that's Lady Gaga, yeah. uh, Maurizio's wife, and Domenico De Sole. So he was uh, he was Rodolfo's lawyer in the early '80s, but since had more and more involvement with the company. So per Pat- Patricia and Murzio are known for their expensive extravagance lifestyle and um one of his decision was to move the headquarters uh of Gucci's from Florence to Milan. And she she also famously said it's better to cry in a Rolls Royce than be happy on a bicycle. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just which is just like <laughs> Oh man. I just So <laughs> Yeah, so they really operate in a level that, you know, us normal people will never understand. The headquarter, it was one of those no-dime-spare kind of situation, and Gucci really couldn't afford it because Maurizio stopped the Gucci accessory lines of product, which was 70% of the revenue at that time. So Maurizio wanted to basically like turn the brand into... Uh, like a luxury brand again. He was like trying to push out products that were uh like the new Gucci. That kind of that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of situation. But he cut off the money-making products too early. Like there's just like a gap where they weren't making any money by Late 1993 and early 1994, Investcorp has lost trust in Maurizio completely and bought him out. And since, it was the first time since 1921 that there was no more Gucci in the Gucci company. And uh, Domenico De Sole, at this point, he was running uh, Gucci America after Rodolfo Gucci died in 1983. And he was brought on to run the whole thing and was basically, de facto leader of the uh, of the company. And Maurizio actually said, just wait six months. Uh, uh, just wait six months and the Japanese market will realize the new Gucci has arrived and and they're going to buy all the Gucci product. The funny thing is, he was actually correct. Six months later, they made, like, the most... Like, six months after InvestCore has taken over, like, Gucci had one of the best <laughs> one of the best year in long freaking time. Hmm. Um, and... Domenico brought in the American designer, Tom Ford. And between um, 1994 and 2004, they really brought back uh, Gucci as a brand. And Domenico actually said later on, uh, Maurizio had the vision. He even had the strategy. He just could not execute for shit. He just could not Mm. execute any plans. He had a plan. He just couldn't do it. He just couldn't make it happen. So that's Gucci, but one last thing. In 1995, one day, while Maurizio was walking into his office, he was gunned down by a hitman. Three shots in the back of his <laughs> oh head, God. like it, like like, it, like it's an execution. Two years of investigation led to nothing, and eventually they were tipped off, and then uh, and then there was a search warrant on. Patricia's home and arrested her for uh, hiring the, 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 the hitman. Shit. Jesus. And it's really kind of like like Patricia always had this desire to like when, when Maurizio first had control of the company she really wanted him to be like the Gucci man. Like one of those like flamboyant and really out there CEO. Like like a celebrity CEO type of thing, they never really got to do it, and is that the reason? Like that's kind of like a stupid reason to kill someone. Like like my my takeaway after his like after this shooting is like for what? Like like <laughs> yeah. what's the reason? Like yeah. what's the reason? Like she like Maurizio bored. already was pushed out. Like yeah, there's nothing. Like this doesn't mean that this doesn't do anything. But either way, she was um. She was uh, sentenced for twenty eight years and then wrote and was released after eighteen. Shit. And this is the comeback story that is Gucci.
2: Man, poor uh, Guccio
0: Gucci. You know,
2: like his. Uh, his he legacy. Lu- yeah, he just wanted to sell some luxury handbags and clothes, and his descendants were just idiots, basically.
0: Now, poor Guccio Gucci. He died before all the bullshit happened. Yeah, That's I true. feel like he's probably rolling
2: in his grave, seeing how. Some his descendants are, but yeah, I guess so. He was there for the glory years,
0: like, yeah, he was there back before things were complicated. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty complicated too because it fascist Italy, but yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, (laughs) okay. So, for my comeback story, I'm gonna be talking about Drew Barrymore, and uh, she is one of many child, uh child stars who have went through like a really difficult upbringing but she is an example of someone who was able to make like a pretty incredible recovery have you have you guys like seen any of her movies or anything like that
1: i i just more know her name like uh same yeah i actually i I, i'm gonna look her up because i can't put a, a face to the name face to
2: the name yeah yeah, uh, you definitely would oh, recognize okay. her yeah, if you yeah, saw yeah. her, yeah.
1: But, yeah, uh, oh yeah, I know, yeah.
2: I'll get into some of her filmography in a bit,
1: but yeah,
2: like, she's like a true child actor, because she's been in the spotlight, like, her whole life. Her mom was bringing her to auditions when she was only uh, a baby, and she featured in her first Dude. commercial when she was only 11 months old, so yeah her uh, Drew's mom Jade Barrymore was kind of like determined to turn her daughter into a star. Uh, Drew was also interested in acting and stuff but her mom definitely like heavily encouraged it.
1: Um, well, I feel like you can't you can be into something you can like something but like I don't know if you're if you're doing it at like 11 months old do you like it 11 months
0: yeah like yeah that, like oh i don't think i i it's more like she started liking it at like
1: five, yeah right? no no I, I know like, i know but it's like i don't know yeah
0: yeah yeah according to drew herself she really liked it when she was 11 months old yeah. yeah
2: but um she was kind of a natural um as as an actor or actress because she actually well this isn't the reason why but interestingly she actually came from like an acting dynasty uh she came from a long line of actors on her dad's side and they had been starring in movies in hollywood since like the 1900s um so she was being prepared prepared to be like the next in line in this acting legacy uh but her father john drew barrymore uh was not present really during her childhood And so she was almost exclusively raised by her mom, Jade, and her father was just like a violent alcoholic and just kind of like a scumbag. So yeah, he was not really present in Drew's life. And when he was there, he was just an asshole. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like this also kind of affected her mental health from a young age, just like issues with abandonment and things like that. Like, why doesn't my dad want me things like that which yeah eventually grew into that issue yeah i guess <laughs> yeah um, papa yeah she's so, like she was um oh sorry yeah the barrymore's the barrymore like family didn't just have a reputation as being great entertainers but they also had a reputation as big drinkers like, many of her ancestors had substance abuse issues. I think a couple of them actually, like, drank themselves to death. Damn. So, yeah, the Barrymores are it's known hardcore. for two things, like acting and drinking. Um, <laughs> anyway, Jade, as I said, was bringing Drew to auditions, and she started getting small roles here and there. But her career really took off in 1982, Uh, when she was seven, she featured in this movie, uh, E.T. Like E.T. the Oh,
1: really? She's in
2: that?
0: Yeah. Never heard of this movie. Well,
2: Ah. it was the highest grossing movie of the decade. And around this time, Jade, uh, quit her job and became Drew's full-time manager. So her own mom is her manager.
0: That's so.
1: That's kind of sus.
0: So I work in theater, right, and there are some child actor in both of our productions this summer, and one of the child actor, like, she's only 11, and the production lasts two months, so four weeks of rehearsal and four weeks of shows. And it's a, it really is a huge commitment if you're like a like a like a high school student or whatever like this is a huge part of your summer yeah and I was just like we were just kind of saying like it must be nice that you, when you guys are done you guys can finally have like a proper summer that kind of thing and then that one child actor who is more hardcore than every other one 11 and she was just like yeah and then I got this show after and then I have this show in, in mid-august and then I have this show in late August and I'm just like <laughs> Oh my goodness! She's gonna turn into a rebel when she's gonna turn into an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah.
1: If you're if you're yeah. working at that age, then like it, it, it's just not. I don't know. You should be doing fun things. You should be working. Well, like just kid mm-hmm. kid stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Just something that's not that.
0: Like most of our most of the child actors that were involved in our plays are usually like this is their this is their summer activity and then like, yeah. like going to summer camp, that kind of thing. Yeah, but then yeah, they yeah. still do have like they still have like their own thing afterward. But this one, her mom is her manager. Yeah. And it's just like scheduling a lot of stuff and I'm just like <laughs> Yeah that's... Okay, I, like I'm not like obviously I'm not gonna say anything, but like Yeah, but that's pretty fucked. Like, it's, uh, it's it's this is rough. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Yeah. Anyways.
2: um, Yeah. So she became a huge sensation. She starred in some TV shows and was in this movie. She starred in this movie called Firestarter, which is like a Stephen King adoption. Uh, And she was probably the biggest child actor of the 1980s. And was just someone that was beloved by the public. Even from a young age, she was just like a really likable person really talented, charming in, in interviews and stuff and she kind of gained the reputation of being like Hollywood sweetheart sort of thing. right. Um, How old was she at this point? This is when she was about eight or nine.
0: Oh okay so so it's still like a proper child. Yeah, yeah, she's very young.
2: So Jade, uh, her mom started bringing Drew to parties and nightclubs when she was around nine, um, and they would go to this famous nightclub in LA called Studio 54, which was a club that Hollywood's oh. <laughs> biggest celebrities would go to in the 80s.
0: If a place is given a name like these, like Area 51 or like oh, Road yeah. like yeah. a place and a number, yeah. oh,
2: You know, it's gonna be... Something. No bueno. But yeah, at these clubs, Drew was exposed to alcohol and drugs... And it kind of started relatively innocently, like someone would let her have like a glass of champagne and people thought it was kind of funny because the stereotype of Barrymore is, you know, it's like, well, she's a Barrymore after all, you know, <laughs> that's what they do. But yeah, adults were basically just letting her have like a couple drinks, but it started to deteriorate and become much worse. Uh, she started to drink heavily. She at nine and a half, she was smoking cigarettes. and what? Dude. <laughs> and uh, by the time she was 10, she was smoking weed. And by the time she was 12, she was doing coke. Whoa. Whoa.
0: <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So
2: things got really serious.
0: Um, One of us should have did drew Barrymore for the drunk episode.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what oh, I was yeah. thinking after doing <laughs>
1: yeah, this. Yeah, true. <laughs>
2: So, her mom claims she didn't know this was happening. Aww, and that that's was, such like, bullshit. hiding it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's, that's but, total bullshit. like, she was still bringing her to clubs, knowing yeah. full well there was going to be alcohol, drugs, and other stuff there. I've, I've heard an explanation that Jade was born, like, she was born in a DP camp in uh, Europe, like, after World War II. And she was, like, a refugee. So, she had, like, kind of a fucked up childhood herself. So, what's a
0: DP camp? Displaced persons. Displaced camp, persons. Okay.
2: It's just, yeah, it's just like a refugee camp. And right. apparently she had like kind of a messed up upbringing. So that's kind of why she was not like a great mother because she didn't have like a normal childhood herself. That's like a theory I've heard, but that could just be bullshit.
1: Yeah. It's, um, I mean, uh, th- still, uh, that's, that's like.
0: Like that probably plays a role, but you know there are also other factors as well. Yeah, but, you know, there's no, it's definitely not. An there's excuse. no excuse. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, Just exactly, because yeah. You, you lived in a. Yeah, your childhood is is fucked up and sad, but like that doesn't make it
1: okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, like if you don't know that your 12 year old child's doing coke, like, what the fuck?
0: I <laughs> how incompetent yeah. do you yeah. have to be?
1: Like totally just...
2: incompetent.
1: Um, but. It,
2: They also, at this time, their dynamic was more like a relationship of, like, friends. Like, her mom was her friend more than she was her mom.
1: This sounds a lot like, um, Anthony Kiedis. Like, uh, the lead singer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh. Like, um, his dad, his dad was divorced, and, like, when when he lived with his dad in California, he'd, like, bring him to clubs when he was, yeah, like, 12. I think he was, like, 11, and, um... Or maybe 12, 30, 12 or 13 or something. And uh, and his dad, like, basically, like, brought this groupie over to f- have sex with his son. <laughs> that was how he lost oh his
2: virginity. My God. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Super fucked up. It's just, like, when your parents are, like, just not... Like, too enough. irresponsible. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too yeah. irresponsible, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. They're not... Yeah, like, as you are saying, like, yeah, they're, like, not your parent they're your friend yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) so yeah things started to decline um she was not getting as many roles at this point and she started to indulge in alcohol and drugs harder um and drew also just had like clinical depression and drugs and alcohol was a way to sort of escape and her relationship with her mom became kind of strained because Jade, like, to her credit, did actually become, like, very concerned with her daughter's state. Um, like, Drew was going to clubs alone and partying at 13 and doing blow and stuff. So even the this most irresponsible parent ever is going to be like, okay, you got to draw the line there, you know, like, that's too much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll draw a line at uh you know age 13 and doing coke that's that's <laughs> yeah.
2: too much yeah. <laughs> but yeah drew was like the main breadwinner or like really the only breadwinner of like that of their family and so Jay de- de- depended on her fight uh financially so drew kind of like played that card like oh well you're like relying on me anyways like why do i have to listen to anything you say sort of
1: yeah um, that's that's so- that's pretty fucked
2: Yeah, and it was, like, Drew, like, became pretty cruel to her mom, but it was just because she was, like, so miserable and, like, depressed. She just was sort of, like, taking it out all on, like, one person. And her mom was, like, kind of an easy target, I guess. But, yeah, also during this time, paparazzi, magazines, and all these scummy, like, media people caught wind of, like, what she was doing. And they basically were, like, publicly shaming her in terms of, like, magazine articles, calling her, like, yeah. a drug addict and stuff, basically. um, So, yeah, that obviously makes it even harder if you have these people who are constantly writing, like, stories about you doing drugs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Writing takedown article, like, expose article. Yeah.
2: So this was, like, she was still at this time seen as, like, or... For a while, she was seen as Hollywood's sweetheart. So this came as like a big shock and people were just like, oh my God, like I can't believe it. Um, things got so bad that uh, Drew's mom forcibly checked her into rehab at 13 years old.
1: Jeez. And, this is uh, fucked
0: up. Oh
2: my goodness. She made some progress in rehab because she had a therapist and counselors who helped her with some of her trauma and some of her substance abuse issues. But... Uh, she still like when, whenever she would leave the facility. After a bit, she'd be going strong, and then she'd relapse again, like, or she'd be sober for a few months, then she'd relapse again. So she could make a bit of progress, but it would just be back to square one. And when she wasn't at the or the addiction center, she was just sort of like spiraling. Like she had an incident where she slit her wrists during an argument. And, uh, she almost, she almost killed herself. Um, and all the while, like, these tabloid magazines were publishing headlines, like, you know, former E.T. star and now drug addict Drew Barrymore attempts suicide and all this shit. Yeah, that's like, so fucked. Like, that's not, like, an an actual headline, but, like, that's no, basically, yeah, like, yeah. the kind of shit they were saying.
0: The actual headline's probably worse.
2: Yeah. So they just had, like, no, like, humility for the fact that she was going through, like, a very difficult time. Yeah. Um, So anyway, at this point, she was basically at rock bottom. She was, like, blacklisted by Hollywood. It was not getting any roles. She was not in a good mental state. She was contemplating suicide. She was relapsing on her substance abuse problems. And her relationship with her mom was, like, at an all-time low. And, like, for a lot of people, this would be, like, it. It's, like, the, like how do you, like, how are you going to, like, recover from this? Like, you're kind of... And,
0: and she's, like, what, 15 at this point, probably? It's, like... Yeah. Like, it's it's yeah. not, like... I don't know. If you're a grown adult, at least, like, you can go to places. Like, start new. That kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This,
0: but, like, it's not... It's not like she can just pack her bag and be like, oh, I'm going to jump into the car that I own and with the driver's license that I have. It's not like she can do that.
2: Well, it's interesting you say that because shortly after, um, after consulting with her counselors and therapists and stuff, they thought it would be a good idea to declare Drew as an adult and to emancipate herself from Jade. So she was legally freed from control of like her mom. That's good. Yeah, and this was this was <laughs> at fourteen, dude. Fourteen, she was like independent, but yeah, they thought that her mom was a even if even when she was trying to help, she was a bad influence on her mental health and made her substance abuse issues worse. So they were kind of like, maybe it would make more sense for you to like not be like Just live separate. yeah separate yeah, but yeah after she was kind of still like unemployable by Hollywood studios. No one really wanted her in movies. And even when she would audition, people were like, yeah, no, like why? We like, we can't cast her. So she started working um, like a, at a restaurant and like jobs like that. And I think she kind of came to terms with the fact that like, okay, I think my career as an actress is probably done, but she still continued auditioning on the side and she got a role in a movie in 1992 called Poison Ivy and she was able to sort of get some roles in some smallish productions. And this was partially because she sort of embraced her new reputation. She was like, okay, like if I try and act like Hollywood's sweetheart at this point, like no one's gonna buy that like that. That's done. But if I am
0: gonna buy into the Hollywood skank
2: image. Well, yeah, like embrace the bad girl image and then you, you right. might be able to get more roles and this was like yeah this was super successful um even though like at this time like by the time she was like 17 18 she had uh she was actually like pretty much entirely sober like she had kicked her substance abuse issues um but she was still sort of like hamming up this idea that she was this crazy like party girl because it would get her roles, basically.
1: True, that's actually smart.
2: Yeah, but eventually she started playing, like, a more diverse set of roles, and because the bad girl image, like, deep down, that wasn't really who she was, and didn't want to be typecasted. But yeah, she did some big movies in the 90s, like, she did, she was in Scream. Uh, She was in The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. a
1: bicep yeah is that supposed to be like a good thing i i (laughs) i I, I was i was looking over at that and i was like hey that's that girl that's always in the adam sandler movies
2: dude yeah she's in like (laughs) four Adam sandler movies (laughs) and they're all horrible yeah yeah Yeah. she was like she she, i've seen some of her quotes talk about adam sandler she thinks she's like really talented and this great guy but i'm just like yeah
1: i don't know about Mm. that
2: like yeah (laughs) Um, Yeah, best actor ever. (laughs) What a legend. Uh, So she also (laughs) co-founded this company called Flower Films, which was like a production company. And they began producing their own movies. She did this movie called Never Been Kissed, which she produced or was a writer and starred in. And it was like a rom-com. And then she also produced and starred in Charlie's Angels with Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu which is probably my favorite of her movies. Um, It's just really cheesy and really fun. Uh, She produced and acted in Donnie Darko, which is another good movie. What?
0: How come I've never heard of so many movies? These are like
2: late 90s, early 2000s movies. But yeah, like she, at this point, she was still getting roles. She was like financially successful. She was sober. Her mental health had was in like a much better state so yeah I think it's it's a pretty good example of like a a comeback both in terms of her career as an actress but also just in her personal life yeah Yeah.
0: because you know if like even if she continued just having like a living like a normal life that would have been a comeback story on its own yeah that's true yeah exactly like she pivoted with the image thing that's like great move Mm -hmm. just great
1: career move yeah yeah I feel like like that's just, you know, this age-old story of child actors or child stars. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, they become irrelevant, and then every once in a while you hear, like, oh, Lindsay Lohan is in jail, or...
2: Yeah, uh, Lindsay Lohan has a DUI or some shit. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's like, wow, (laughs) yeah. So that's, that's nice that that's, like, the only one I've ever heard of that... That where that, like, actually, you know, works out for the best.
2: Yeah, like, she's really one of the only child stars who has been able to recover from just having such a, you know, fucked-up childhood. Um, yeah. And nowadays, she's, like, she has, like, her own, like, reality talk show thing with, like, she has, like, celebrity guests and invites people onto segments and things like that. It's, it's actually really successful, too, so... I think that's like kind of like more up her alley. She's not really super into acting right now. Um, She also made up with her mom a bit too. I mean, she doesn't really owe her anything in my opinion. Um, Yeah. But she decided to make up with her and, you know, just put everything aside and try and make the best out of a bad situation. But yeah.
0: For every Drew Barrymore out there, they're probably like, there's a Demi Lovato, <laughs> yeah, yeah, ten of them. Like. <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean, a lot of them still, you know, still yet to pan out how their story and how their story ends yet. You know, we don't know. Maybe it's a setup yeah. for a comeback. Mm-hmm. But right. but yeah, like yeah. good for Drew more for you know making a comeback. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right.
2: oh, she also has a family of her own. I forgot to mention that, and she's raising them. Basically, like, opposite of how she was raised. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not
1: giving them coke at uh, twelve. Minutes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but she's doing well, and uh yeah, I mean, like she is. It is a pretty impressive comeback
1: story. But sick. Yeah.
2: I'll toss it over to you, Seth. That's a
1: feel-good it's, story. Yeah, it definitely is. I um. So mine is Michael Jordan. And this is a weird comeback story. Uh he doesn't really like hit rock bottom or anything like that. He does like there's a the gambling bit which I'll get to. Um uh but like this isn't like a Drew Barrymore story where you know he's like got substance abuse issues or mm. uh he's like going crazy or like super bad mental health issues. I mean for the for the most part he's he's pretty stable, yeah, anyways, after winning the three Pete with probably the most legendary team on earth at the time, and maybe the best basketball team ever, and also in his prime years, he was like twenty nine he retires from basketball, the best athlete in the world at the time, the most marketable athlete in the world at at the time no injuries he just retires he has this big press conference where he announces his retirement um everyone's there it's this huge deal uh and he's just like yeah i'm i'm retiring and he's not just retiring from basketball he's transitioning to baseball
2: yeah but MJ is just like, he just is like a sucker for like the dramatic. Like this guy retired twice in his career. Yeah, ret- did, It's like, dude. Oh my gosh.
0: I think there is some like in- inside story that we don't know with his first retirement. Oh, but like, well, would probably oh, get to uh,
1: it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm about to get to why he uh switches to baseball, but yeah, he's he's such a funny character. Like, oh man. he's just a like i think at the at the heart of it he's just a weirdo like he's a really weird guy and he makes drama queen well he's a bit of a drama queen but i think i think he really just like like makes his own decisions and and is like yep uh like weird (laughs) decisions and just Mm. he's like "Eh, yeah whatever cool sweet he's just so confident in himself like, he has, yeah, like, he's... so much cockiness <laughs> that he just, yeah. he's like, eh, fuck it, I'll do whatever the fuck I want.
2: Have, did you see the
0: last dance? Okay, had? yeah,
1: that's where I'm getting, like, most of the info for this bit, is the last dance. Th-
0: this is what happened when you talk about a person who Duncan and I also know a bit yeah, about, and we're yeah. just, like, <laughs> hi- hijacking, your, <laughs> hijacking
1: your segment. <laughs> yeah, I should have picked someone that wasn't, you know, Michael Jordan. The the most recognizable athlete ever. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> well, at least in North American sports. But anyways, um yeah, so the reason why he uh he retires and goes to baseball is because during the off season after they just won the three peat, um his father was stopped on the side of the road having a nap uh, like during a long road trip. And he was mugged and killed like a a random shooting. Um, And his dad was a really big influence in his life. So the death really hit MJ hard. And his dad also really liked Michael Jordan playing baseball when he was a kid like he really encouraged baseball more so than than basketball so after he died uh michael jordan's thinking was that he would honor his dad by going into baseball um and like he was sorry sorry to interrupt but
2: it's like i get that it's like he's grieving and stuff and he thinks it's a nice thing to do but i'm sure his dad was like super proud of the fact he was like the best basketball player in the world and, yeah like, yeah time <laughs> champion i'm sure he was fine with him not playing baseball at that point but
1: yeah whatever. exactly um but yeah so <laughs> he just he's like okay well uh, i'm gonna go play baseball for my dad um and then there's also the theory that um there we go the, well, okay, so there's the theory that he was gambling like way too much, and he got like a, a one year suspension from David Stern, the um the commissioner for the commissioner. NBA. Yeah, oh. which which okay, he was gambling a lot, and like he was he was in with like a few shady figures that were like, I guess like loan sharks or whatever, but okay yeah uh m j liked to gamble, but dude, the guy is so fucking rich. <laughs> yeah. and this is what they say in the last dance, they're like they're like him gambling like a hundred thousand dollars in a day is like a regular person gambling like a hundred bucks doesn't even make a dent in his account and like this one guy was like uh in the documentary he's like, why the fuck?" would david stern lose his most marketable asset like mj is literally the the league league. like mj is the league Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Yeah. and and david stern would be like "Hmm, you're gambling too much one (laughs) year suspension like uh uh, what (laughs) that is the dumbest that doesn't make (laughs) yeah yeah
2: that literally doesn't make any sense
0: yeah that's why there's something else, like the gambling thing. Is not the only thing that's got that. That's a that's a uh, red herring. But you know, there's some sh- shady I, deals going on in the background.
1: I don't know, man. I honestly think that MJ is just like, David Stern. Just crazy. Dumb. No, I think I think <laughs> MJ is just crazy, man. I I literally think right. that he's just like <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's just so sure of himself that he's like, okay, yeah, he's... I make I make this decision. I'm going with it. Boom. And then there's he's also an, the theory... Oh, sorry.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, he's just an eccentric, like, really, really confident person. And when yeah. he gets an idea in his head, he just fucking backs it, like, 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah. That is also very likely, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, Yeah, it's like, it's like there's no, there's no, like, his reasoning of doing things is like, oh, because I want to.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, but then there's also, like the theory that he got a bit bored with basketball with the NBA, which is like kind of fucked, but it's like (laughs) too easy. He, Yeah. Too easy. Yeah. Where where he's like, Oh yeah, I need a challenge. The whole thing with the last dance is like, it's just like this repeating theme of Michael Jordan needing competition and making it up for himself. Like he needs this drive and he just makes shit up so that he can, like, be competitive with himself and just keep going. He needs you know? a nemesis.
0: Mm mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs yeah. rivalry.
1: He literally just makes up reasons to, like, you know, push himself, which is crazy. But yeah, he was actually, like, half decent when he moved, because he moved pretty seamlessly to, um, the Chicago White Sox, their uh, farm team, the Birmingham Barons, and he was he was decent. He had like below average stats. The Barons weren't the best team that year. Like it was, it was okay.
0: How's he decent? Well, he's you just say he got below average stat. How's okay,
1: he... so I'm well... I'm saying like decent for. A guy who hasn't played the sport in like a decade. That's
0: true. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Okay.
1: Like you could you could see it as like oh it's only the minor leagues it's still AAA baseball like these guys are like these guys are still like insanely good at what they do you know mm-hmm. they're they're still professional right. athletes he's still playing at a very high level for sure like he's playing with guys who've been playing their entire lives and like that is their lives that is true that is true and like okay he's he was still a professional athlete but fucking hell man if you put like most professional athletes on a like any kind of other sports semi-pro team they would be like dog shit Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah they'd be shit yeah even if they'd played it before but he was a such a naturally talented athlete and b such a hard worker. Everyone says he was the first there and last to leave, and he would just like spend hours and hours on his hitting just in the uh in the batting cage. And so he like he actually had this like twelve game hit streak I think, um, and wasn't that that bad like he obviously wasn't great but he was still like a starter on yeah the triple a team it wasn't like they were just playing him because he attracted crowds which Mm. he fucking did Uh, yeah like michael (laughs) jordan playing baseball like yeah well it's a funny sight because it's like these tiny little ballparks (laughs) in these tiny little towns where it's usually like a quarter filled and they're packed like the entire town is (laughs) just like just packed with people trying to get a look at MJ. Um yeah, like he he had to train his body to be like a baseball body which is obviously very different from basketball. And yeah. he he was like as I was saying he was he was good and he kept getting better throughout the season. Um and his coach, his name is Terry Francona. And he had a lot of success later in uh, the MLB. I think he won a couple World Series, but um, he said that if he kept going for a couple more years, he would have made the majors, like MLB, like he would have been uh, a major league player, which is pretty fucking insane. No, that is that's like that's it's nuts. Um, <laughs> but while he was gone, the Bulls did. Pretty well. Uh, I think they made it to the conference final, but it wasn't the same. Like, they were missing MJ. But then the next season, he was still planning on playing baseball again, but, uh, there was a lockout over disputed wages. And, uh, MJ ain't no scab. So he didn't join the replacement players, uh, for Grapefruit League, which is like preseason. And so he he's he's not doing anything. That's how you know that league is
0: irrelevant.
1: <laughs> grapefruit League, <laughs> yeah, like like yeah.
0: preseason like preseason games don't matter, right? Like, I yeah, nah. it's the same
1: with yeah.
0: <laughs> Let me start a pineapple league over
1: here, <laughs> pineapple. League. But yeah, um, so he was just kicking around Chicago, not doing too much, and um, a couple of the guys on the Bulls. We're like, yo, come to practice. Just, like, shoot some hoops for us. Of course, he plays a few games. And mid-NBA season, he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm coming back to the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this guy is so, like, unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. Just like, eh, well, okay, this sounds good. So he comes back. And there's this really funny story in The Last Dance where um this guard for the utah jazz like craig and mj was what, what was his do you remember his name uh bill russell no no no, i couldn't have been bill russell oh no sorry not bill russell um shit what was his name uh
2: it's not it's not
1: important it's fine yeah anyways something russell brian russell brian russell oh uh, okay Yeah, anyways, he was like a rookie when Michael Jordan was playing baseball, and he just so happened to be uh, at the same, like, training facility as uh, the Jazz, so he goes up to John Stockton and Karl Malone, and he's like, oh, yo, what's up, what's up, and this guy, Brian Russell, comes up to him, and he's like, yo, why you quit? You know I could guard your ass, you had to quit. (laughs) Oh,
2: no. That
1: is, (laughs) man, he's gonna make him eat those words. Yeah, which of course, um MJ crosses him over and just kicks his ass uh <laughs> when they when they meet like 3 years later after his comeback. But yeah, it's so funny. Just another reason for just another grudge from Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, like
2: really just don't <laughs> encourage him. Yeah.
1: I th- like, I think I think Michael Jordan
0: I'm, went, well, and I took it personally.
1: I, I, yeah, honestly, I personally. I, I'm pretty sure he said that, like, right after. Or, I took that personally. He says that, like... Oh, that's oh, is that that where is the meme comes is. from? Yeah. Yeah. He man. actually says that so many times in the last dance.
0: Yeah, he takes everything personally. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, like, yeah.
2: <laughs> Dude, like... I'd be scared if I, like, talk shit to Jordan. And then was going to face, face off him in the next game. It's like, man... This guy's gonna destroy me.
1: Yeah, oh, fuck that.
0: If I'm his like server and I put down like the other person's food before I put down his, I'm like, oh shit, is yeah. he gonna take that
2: personally? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man. It's like a in- intense person. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: he, he's just everything is about him. He takes yeah,
1: everything <laughs> personally. Yeah, so he he comes back initially, he was like a little rusty. Because, you know, he was playing another sport for a year. Um, But he plays uh, 17 games in the 94-95 season. And then um, plays the uh, 95-96 season. Oh yeah, they uh, I think they made it to the conference finals again. But not to the final. But the next year, they won uh, pretty easily against Seattle and then the year after, they beat the Utah Jazz and then they beat the Utah Jazz again with him like fully leading the team just I mean it it's like that Jordan. was when
2: uh, that was like I, I can't remember if it was the 96 97 season or the 9798 but I know one of them was the season he played the uh, the game in the finals with the flu.
1: Like he was like yeah. really sick, yeah. And he was like, yeah, super
2: sick, and he had like forty points or something crazy.
1: Yeah, it's insane. Like he could, <laughs> he couldn't walk before the game, and then he gets like forty points. Yeah. Dude, that that guy is like, I, I, I he's an alien. Yeah, it's like wh- a superhuman. Man. Yeah, and then of, uh, I think it was ninety seven, ninety eight when he, uh, when he strips carl malone of the ball of in game six goes the other way and mm. then dunks it oh dude <laughs> man he's like man.
0: we should why don't we just start a podcast talking about basketball what are
1: we doing <laughs> yeah yeah talk about we should uh sports we should we just just talk do about a sports all, the, podcast. all
2: the trash basketball players over the years man <laughs> i've seen some players on the raptors who have at points, man. They've had some shit players, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, true. Like Chuck Hayes. Man, that guy sucked.
1: Anyways. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he does the, like, repeat-three-peat with the Bulls. And I think that they were, like, a better team the second time around, and he was a better player the second time around. Like, even better. Um, cause, like, the Utah Jazz were sick. That was an insane team. Like, yeah,
2: John Stockton and Carl. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, dude, so good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, d- he, like, has his, his comeback where he stops playing basketball and then returns to the level, or if not uh, a higher level. Uh once he comes back and yeah, Bulls like
0: That's a weak sauce comeback story. Come on. Dude. What? You just wanna no, talk about MJ. What? Yo, not, he, he's not dude, he was he, never I, He lived. yeah, he literally came back. That's it. Like he didn't like you know, he wasn't like
1: Was well, his dad died. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his dad I, died. I he he stopped he stopped. I thought it's good too, sport. just
0: that's not a comeback. That's a weak comeback story. I mean, it's okay. It's interesting. Okay, how about a oh, weak sauce? How man.
1: about how about uh, how about his second retirement story or his second comeback story? So he retires in ninety eight, <laughs> ninety nine, uh, doesn't play for, like, no for three years. Yeah, doesn't play for three years. He's only thirty five. That's like, like especially it, it wasn't like he had any injuries that were like plaguing his career. He just retires because he wants to and then comes back in 2001 for the 2001-2002 season with yeah plays for the, the fucking Washington, Washington Wizards. Wizards yeah
0: yeah he, he just he wanted out he wanted out of the Chicago Bulls it was it was getting shit and so he joins like, the Wizards he's, he, no, well, so he retired. No, he, so, for three so he retired. Years. No, yeah. Like, so so he retired like an honorable person, not like fucking Ben Simmons, who just like, oh, I'm not even that, not even uh, a fucking yeah. superstar, and just, and just, just like not play, uh, and then like get a forced transfer. It's like, if you don't want to play for the team, just retire honorably, like mm. Michael Jordan. Not, don't, don't, like, you know, fuck around. That's what I think is the real reason. It's because he won out of the Bulls. I think he's and just that's
2: a mysterious unpredictable yeah. person like he gets this he gets these schemes and plans into his mind he's like you know what i'm gonna retire yeah. and then that's just it
0: i think retiring the second time was a reasonable like it's not that unpredictable no, it yeah. was reasonable it was unreasonable to join the wizard that's yeah the, yeah that's yeah so move.
2: weird <laughs> man mj
1: yeah that's that's it but i mean to be fair, I don't know. I, I did kind of want to just talk about MJ because, man, <laughs> yo, he's yeah, such he's a, a weird great... guy. He's yeah. so cool. Yeah, Jordan is
2: like... He's really... He has a pretty interesting life and stuff.
1: Yeah. It, it, like, for me, he's like this, like, psychological case study. Yeah. You know, where, yeah. Where he's like, how do you... Like, he, he just... like I, I don't know. If you want, like tips on how to motivate yourself i mean he must be the the best person ever because oh yeah he, that's, that's he's so what I think driven
0: about, yeah that's why i think about kobe yeah true yeah that's why it's so interesting uh towards the end of um uh, mj's career when kobe was a rookie yeah
1: and, like, yeah
0: and mj did the same thing with the whole uh like trash talking kobe like he called kobe the little laker boy and mm. and he said, you can wear the shoe, but you will never feel it. Like, that's what he said to Kobe. Mm. And Kobe didn't talk to his teammate for the rest of the day, for the next two weeks. And just like, and, and, and then they just thought like, what, did we do something wrong? Oh, no, 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 because MJ said this. It's like, okay. And then next game, like, he destroyed MJ. And and I'm like, they are so similar in this sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they have a similar mentality of like winning above everything, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, they're like they almost, like, on the spectrum in terms of just, like, they, they don't function like normal people, you know? Mm.
0: No, no, they don't. They're obsessive.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're very obsessive.
0: I've wondered if it's, like, an ultra, like, do ultra-competitive people just always, like, that just will just succeed? Because there was a story, there's this restaurant called... Uh, I don't know I think Madison Square at Madison Square 300 whatever and the head chef of uh, that restaurant was a uh, a competitive cyclist until he was 24 and uh, he just switched and just all of a sudden started doing cooking out of nowhere and that restaurant was voted like in 2018 or 2017 was as the best restaurant in the world and it's like just oh, ultra man. competitive like like these kind of like he he was a success in in cycling like like it's not like he was a shit cyclist like these are, uh, I just sometimes wonder do ultra competitive people can just, do they just find a way to succeed in any field they pick? Like I, I wonder
2: that's that sometimes. That's just what they like get off on, man. They just want to be the, yeah. be the best. Mm-hmm.
1: They just want to compete yeah. like they anything just, to get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. They
0: don't really care about what are they the best in. They just want to be the best. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, that's like yeah. y- like, uh, learning about Michael Jordan it, 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 there's a lot of parallels with like Cristiano Ronaldo for me because mm. he's the same way where the dude just like can't stand losing like he he's like losing for him is literally just not an option there's this story that he lost uh, a ping pong game to Rio Ferdinand like a, a, like one of his teammates he loses a ping pong game like a friendly ping pong game yeah. and is so pissed after that he tells his uh his brother to go bu- or like his agent or something to buy him a ping pong table, gets the ping pong table, practices for two weeks straight, and then uh then beats his teammate Rio Ferdinand in front of everyone and like goes crazy like two weeks <laughs> later yeah, it's just an obsession, yeah.
0: Like at one hand, I admire all the, like their their competitiveness and how and sometimes wish I am a little bit more competitive. But at the same time, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, not to that just level. Just fuck though. off, man. Yeah, like, like, like yeah. fuck off with the like, just, just like nobody cares. There's <laughs> like, okay, you beat you you beat me in ping pong now, cool. Uh, who cares? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. There's like a lot of that with uh with tree planting where like normal people would 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 go kind of crazy with the competitiveness man it would be like whoa man like do you
0: gotta show you on the the
1: fuck out yeah yeah it's like whoa whoa but yeah no i don't know
0: (laughs) i didn't expect i didn't expect tree tree planting to make a comeback in this episode yeah that was was the biggest
2: ronaldo was a tree planter dude (laughs) oh my god Oh <laughs> man!
1: If Ronaldo was crazy,
0: <laughs> I want to see a competition between Ronaldo, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant in three <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that'd be
0: awesome. <laughs> and I took it personally. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. interesting people. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, some fucked up people.
0: Any anything else to add, you guys? Nah,
1: no, nah, I was Nothing done
0: for me. Um, it really it's been a while. How do we? I, I don't know bye i guess see you next time
1: smell (laughs) you later dive (laughs) adios shallow dive